and thought, well, this is time to share this with the church. So I'd like you to keep reviewing this verse. I'd even ask you to be brave enough to memorize it and keep asking God, what is it meant for you? How's God going to speak to you through these verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 through 20? Because I see constantly as we're going through the book of Luke, how God is giving me the message to share. It keeps reminding us that we are ambassadors for Christ. Today's message shows about courage, standing firm in the Word of God, not compromising in any way whatsoever. John the Baptist, as we looked at the last time I was speaking to you about uncertainty, his life took a big turn and he landed up in prison and he's about to be beheaded. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Wow. If John the Baptist was put through such a challenge, such a struggle for his faith, we are going to have the same too. Are we ready to be brave and courageous like John? The other part of the message shows unbelievable worship. Amazing worship and a full understanding of coming to Christ in a worship way. As I was thinking through it this, this week and I was with all that's going on and what's been happening since I stood up here in October, it's been like a tornado in my life of stuff happening and ordinations and stuff. And Sharon Kaufman came into my office and said, the Lord has been nudging my heart over and over and over to share this song with the church. Would it be all right if I sing it sometime when you get to this passage in Luke? And I said, sure. And I took it and just put it on my desk. And uh, as I was trying to get my head focused on what was God trying to say to me in these verses, I had so much buzzing around, I picked up the song and read it. And it just started me on the track to see once again how this is so timed for when I'm about to share this message and God nudging Sharon to come up and share this later on today. It also brought me to ask this, reminded me of the question I used to ask God over and over again is, God, what is the purpose for my life? As I became a Christian, they became constantly a question in my prayer time with God. What is the purpose for my life? And eventually, I realized the question should be, what is God's purpose? Think about that. Do we understand clearly what is God's purpose? Because if you do, and when I got to this point, I started to see clearly what was my purpose. Think about this Corinthians verse. It's really speaking out on who we are. We are a new creation. In the Old Testament, we're looking towards the Messiah coming and the cross. In the New Testament, we're looking back at what is prophesied in the Old Testament. The promises about the Messiah. And we're seeing them being fulfilled over and over again. As it was written in the Old Testament. When we look back at what the Messiah came and did whilst he lived among men, his death on the cross. Not only that, we learn about from Jesus about grace, mercy, salvation, eternal life, if we believe in him. When I thought about that and I thought about the cross we have still standing on the platform here, some people have knelt before the cross and invited Jesus Christ into their life to become their personal Savior. Some have stood and invited Jesus Christ with open arms to come into their life as their personal Savior. People understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Others, though, they stand and watch. And they continue to stand and watch. They're being critical about this. They think the Bible is a history book. They don't actually believe in all that we share. They're doubting. They're judging. And they're actually being influenced by Satan and his clever way of deception. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who is the ruler of this world? That is Satan. Very active to destroy everything that is important to God. The title of my sermon today is Rejected God's Purpose for Themselves. I'd never noticed this verse so much. It's in verses, It's in chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 30. Just have a look there. It says, The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Think about what that's actually saying. People in authority rejected God's word for themselves. All of us are in a position of authority. Moms, dads, businessmen, wherever you're working, you're going to have somebody under you. You're in a position of authority. I watched this interview of a man called Chris Rosati. I'd like to read you what he says. He says, I'm a father, husband, and a friend. I also have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. While the disease is destroying my body, the journey is fueling my soul. ALS is devastating, but there are some blessings. I get to be amazed by good people every day. I get to experience an overwhelming and never-ending wave of love. I hardly ever worry and never doubt something Never get, uh, I never worry and never about something trivial. I now see beauty in so many simple things. I no longer fear failure or much of anything else. I know something you don't know. Something wonderful. And I know how blessed I am. He then went on to say, If I cannot impact some people then this whole thing is a waste of time. This is a man dying of Leucaric's disease. And he is focused on impacting people. If I cannot impact some people, then this whole thing is a waste of time. What is God's purpose for us? Most Christians recognize the importance of Christ's death and resurrection. But how many of us understand the theological side and the significance of Jesus Christ? His actions before and after the crucifixion. Moving from His existence before creation through His incarnation, boyhood, adulthood, death, resurrection, and return. We get involved in this and studying this and learning this. It guides you to a deeper understanding of God's beautiful promises. His purpose behind the works of Christ's life. We all need to know what God's purpose is and what our purpose is. Or our role or our part that we have. On Friday I went to one of my professors at Frontier School of the Bible's funeral. Carl Kester passed away. When I first met him we were on different playing fields a little bit. 
as we shared things. But as time went on, we became on the same level. We came very close. In fact, he was part of my pastoral internship professor. It was shared about him when he was young and he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And he joined the Navy. And he, he journaled that from the time of him being saved, he had this passion, this draw to find out, to search out, he says in his journals, to search out what God's design for his life. I like that word. He wanted to know what God's design was for his life. And he decided the best way to find that is through prayer. He prayed, asking God, what is your design for my life? Where is our position of impact in our daily life and walk? So let's have a look and see what God's message has to share with us today in verses 24 to verse 30. Remembering that John the Baptist had sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? He's in a really tough place. His faith is being challenged. He's allowing doubt, uncertainty. Some of us face Huge challenges in our walk with God. It says here, When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John, that is Jesus. He says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. And he quotes from the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. What did you go out to see? Jesus challenges it three times. And as I've said before, when you're reading through the Bible, <coughs> the Bible, Keep reminding yourself to ask the question, what does it say to you? God is trying to teach you through the living word of God. What does it say to you? Why is he repeating this three times to us? What did you go out to see in the wilderness? What did you go out to see? I want to ask you to ask yourself, why do we gather Why do we gather together in the name of Jesus? Are we like the ones who merely watched? Is that why we have come together? Do we really, truly enter in the Spirit and truth? Have you come to worship Him? We are going to face some difficult times in the church. You just have to look overseas to see the trend of what's going on. Are we going to say sin is sin? John the Baptist is in prison. He's trying to figure this out. He did not compromise. 
He spoke the truth. He said exactly what God's word said. But he's in a terrible place right now. He's got no one defending him. He's struggling with what he believed. Are we going to say sin is sin like him? Churches in Europe are not. I've been listening to my mom telling me how she'd been struggling to find a church to attend. She found a church with a lot of uh, ladies of, his, of her own age and it's nice. And so she went and started going to it. They don't have a pastor. Pastors are hard to come by in Europe. They try and cycle a bunch of pastors through the church. But now they think, well, it, you know, it's, it's not important that we have a pastor. We can have the ladies stand up and preach. We can have the ladies read the Word of God. In fact, the guy that does communion came in his slippers and frayed jeans and held the bread and the wine. My mom sat next to a lady who then shared what she was up to in her own time and then she was asked to get up to read the Scriptures. What is going on? The church leaders have rejected God's purpose for themselves. They're changing it. Sin is not sin. We can work around this. John the Baptist stood in contrast to these pampered religious people. Authorities in the temple. But John stood firm. He even stood firm against a king and told him his, that is sin. What are you doing is sin. It's unforgivable if you continue that way. Why are you doing this? He challenged. These people in authority claimed they had the authority of the Word of God. They didn't even know who John the Baptist was. They didn't recognize what was prophesied. Jesus used this occasion of John the Baptist's inquiry to ask, is he the one? To tell people, about John. John was not influenced. He did not compromise the truth. He did not soften the message from the Word of God. He was not like a reed blowing in the wind. Nor was he dressed luxuriously. Instead, he was rightly understood by the people to be a prophet. Jesus added that John was more than a prophet in that he is, was prophesied in Malachi chapter 3. Turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. You know, when I'm reading this and seeing what John is going through, I'm sensing God saying to me, and I'm sensing Him saying to you, Are you strong? Are you my John? For you too, ladies, too. For men, are you the John? Can you stand firm? About the truth of God. Are you going to stand firm with those that are holding the truth of God in the right way? To be able to back them up. Be able to stand up for truth and acknowledge sin is sin. Help people to realize that is sin. And then help them how to get out of the sin. By accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Let's read with me in verses 1 of Malachi chapter 3. It says, Behold, I am going to send... My messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, 
Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. You see there, it's talking about two messengers. One is the forerunner, revealed here as John the Baptist. The other messenger of the covenant, who will purify his people, that is the Messiah himself. Scripture being fulfilled as it, as it was written. In verse 28 of Luke, it says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What is Jesus saying there? John had been preaching a message of repentance for the give, forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was saying, that being a great prophet is not nearly as great as being a member of the kingdom of God. He's implying the fact that citizens of the kingdom of God have a distinct advantage over the prophets who were seen as great men in the Old Testament. Citizens of the kingdom will be under the new covenant and have the law of God written on their hearts. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, it explains this. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I had made with their fathers in, that, in the day, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Verses 29 and 30. When all the people... And the tax collectors heard this. They acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for them, not having been baptized by John. Rejecting God's purpose for themselves. What about you? What is God's purpose for yourselves? How... Is your behavior impacting others around you? How is your life changing other people's lives? The word, the term rejected comes from the Greek word meaning to declare invalid, to nullify, set aside. Think about it. Today the churches are rejecting God. The leaders are not fulfilling their calling. They're rejecting what God says about sin. They've been allowing tolerance, compromise to step in. And these things that are coming in are huge. They're abomination to the Lord. They're making their choices. We have to constantly make our choices. They were refusing to be baptized by John that showed they did not accept his message whatsoever of repentance or the kingdom of God. They rejected God's plan of salvation for them. 
The source of life is in your hands. Right here, this book. Not only that, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, His Spirit indwells in you. The Holy Spirit of God indwells in you. The source of life is right in your hands. Every day as Christians, we face some important choices to make. Every day. Because we know what God's purpose is as we read the Word of God. But we have to speak. We have to stand up like John the Baptist. This incredible man has set an example, the stage forth for us to follow. Follow with me in verses 31 to 39. It says, Jesus is saying, To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, that is Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus likened these Pharisees to squabbling children who complained that everyone did not want to play their phony games. They wanted everyone to play by their rules. Only rules to follow is in the Word of God. His commands, His principles, His requests. These people in Jesus' parable, He's referring to verse 30, the ones that had rejected John and Jesus. Jesus described them as unreliable children who wanted others to respond to their music. You need to do it this way. My mom was telling me about another church she found and she went to and she was loved this pastor and the way he was preaching the Word of God and attended a couple of times. And then out of the blue, two men in suits arrived at her door, knocked on the door and asked to come in and started asking her questions. And then they asked, did she work on Saturdays and Sundays and things like that? And then when she said, yes, I work alternate Saturdays. And, oh, well, if you're going to come to our church, you cannot work Saturdays. They want you to respond to their rules. What rules? Jesus applied the parable by stating that wisdom is proved right by all her children. The ones who were following Jesus and John were proof enough of the correctness of their teaching. So, on the basis of that, it's vindicated by the children. That's you and I. 
by the way we live and go about our lives, we vindicate the gospel. We make it known. We bring that desire in their hearts to want to know more about what we know. It's like Chris Rosetti said there, I know something you don't know. We do. We have something so many people don't know. They're watching this cross. It's a great story. But they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Charles Swindoll, in his book Inside of Luke, wrote this. He says, And today, thousands of years later, most everyone in the world knows the name of Jesus Christ. But few can recall the names of a Pharisee. The ones who are controlling things with the Word of God. Ones in authority. Time will reveal who has believed correctly. As opposed to those who have rejected God's purpose for themselves. That's a powerful comment to put in there. God, they rejected God's purpose for themselves. We do not know why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus into his home. Perhaps he wanted to get to know Jesus better. But the way that they've been doing things, I doubt that. Perhaps he was hoping to get some new evidence on Jesus to accuse him. But it must have certainly embarrassed him when a prostitute, which they believed she was at that time, walking into his house to anoint Jesus. He didn't even offer Jesus some water to wash his feet. He didn't give Jesus any respect, and he's a guest in the house. He was so blind to this life-changing experience of this woman's worship. The woman arrived after hearing Jesus was reclining at the table. She had lived a sinful life, probably known as a prostitute in the community. As the, as the Pharisee characterized her as a sinner in verse 39. She was not an invited guest, but in that time, that culture, if a rabbi was visiting, reclining at someone's house for a meal, others could gather around the house and listen to the conversation, to the wisdom of the rabbi. So it wasn't so strange that she appeared there. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing her feet and anointing them with the perfume. The word wet in this part literally means to rain. Her tears flooded down his feet in a gentle rain. She wiped her tears off her feet, her hair. She constantly kissed his feet, a sign of utmost respect, submission, and affection. What a changed heart. I don't know if some of you that uh, I have a Facebook page called Wayne Pastor Mundell, and on, recently I put on there a video about a woman in Germany, and it really struck home to me because I had a business partner in Germ business partner in Germany, and I travelled to Germany quite extensively. And when I first got involved with these guys, they saw me pray in the board meeting to myself, and then at meals, and eventually they asked, "Are oh, you a Christian?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And they said, "Do you not realise Christianity is the cause of all the wars here?" 
And later on that day, this one man said, well, you know, let's take you and show you our country, you know, you're Christian, so I'll take you to some of these churches. Beautiful cathedrals. Fantastic. Went in there and I said, do you go to church? No. No point. Went into these churches, cold, unused, bare. Museums. Tourist traps. And just recently, this lady hears about an Islamic nam being invited into the to do the call for prayer for Islam in this church. Not only just a church, but it, the Reformation Church of Martin Luther, where he stood and said, I stand alone. I will not recant. They have an Islamic guy doing the Akla Bala, Akla, tongue, tongue try, calling the Islams to prayer in this church. She lived out of town, I believe, and she started to rationalize. Remember, I've told you, don't rationalize. God's calling you to do it. Just do it. She started to rationalize. Someone else will stand up and say, this is wrong, and get him out of the church. God kept nudging her. No, you go. She go. So she took the German flag, and I think she has Jesus Christ as Lord on the colors. Put it in her bag. She went there. She said, I had no idea. God didn't tell me what to do, what to say. I really did not know. And she got in one of the balcony pews, waited, and this guy, as he stood up and started shouting she said where she described like a holy anger from her toes up came through her and she stood up and then the words came and you know what the words came out of her mouth I stand alone right in Martha Luther's church and guess what she stood alone remember a couple of weeks ago in, in God's Not Dead I was talking about that and I said Amazing how that kid stood alone out of that whole class. Who would stand for Christ? And Joe Raw stood up. And when I looked around, most of you, all of you stood up in that, that service. She stood up all alone. Not another man or another Christian woman stood up to help her. And guess who got thrown out the church? She did. Out of her church? And this guy's allowed to shout the alabakla at the top of his voice. They then interviewed an Islamic guy converted to Christianity and they asked him, well, what does this all mean? He said, wow, you guys letting him in the church? For us, we brought a curse. You just allowed us to bring a curse into the church. Are we John the Baptist? The church age is on its last edge here. We've got to finish well. We've got to fight well. The host of that invited Jesus was so blind to this amazing worship of this woman. And then he doubted, he says, if he were a prophet. You know, do we really understand this cross and what Jesus did on the cross? Our passion, our first love of all of that, what he forgave us for. Look at this woman worshiping. Here. So we got it on the other side, a man who understood it. He fought for God. He prepared the way for Jesus to come. He did not compromise right to the end. That's what Jesus is telling me to tell you. Don't fall now. Don't compromise. We have to be strong. Sin is sin, and that's it. This is what the Word of God says. But God wants you to turn from your sin. So in closing, as I asked Sharon to come up and sing this song, us 
The Pharisees missed this beautiful picture of love, trust, faith. He was blinded to the most amazing worship. I don't want you to be blind to this. You need to come back to this love of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to say, ask you this. Now tell me, why do we gather together in Jesus' name? Why? Are we like the ones who merely watched? Tell me, is that why we came today? Or are we like the sister? Do we really, truly enter in the Spirit and in the truth? Have you come to worship Him today? With your heart, are you loving Him? The source of life is right in your hands here and in your heart because He abides there. Are you ready to get a call like that woman in Germany to stand up and remind people You know what she also said? She also said, I rebuke the curse. She had no idea she was saying that when they interviewed after the scene, that other man, that's what he said. What was coming out of her mouth was God giving her the words. This woman is worshiping Jesus Christ up there on the picture. It's your choice. If we come together, if we come together and agree on this, We want to worship and love Jesus Christ and pour out our tears. He is in the midst of that. He wants to do great, mighty things through us. Are we available for that? Thank you. Oh, the nudging of God. woman came to Simon's house. She knew the Lord was there. And when she walked into the room, she was greeted by a stare. She surely must have shocked a few of the people gathered there. As with tear-filled eyes and trembling hands, she let down her long, dark hair. From an alabaster vessel, sweet ointment filled her hands. And as she wept, she kissed his feet and began anointing them. With her hands, she was touching him, the Alpha. Omega, the beginning and the end, and with her hand, she was holding on to his. The source of life was right there in her hand. Now Simon said within his heart, Oh Lord, if you only knew find a woman that is touching you. But Jesus knew 
about her past. He knew about her sin. And he saw in her a repentant heart that had come to worship him. Tell me why do we gather here together in his name? Are you like the ones who merely watched? Tell me, is that why you came? Or are you like this sister? Do you truly enter in, in spirit and in truth? Have you come to worship him? With your hands, are you touching him? And with your heart, are you loving him? And with your hands, are you holding on to him? The source of life is right there. In your hands, with your hands, are you touching him? The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and with your hands, are you holding on? Source of life is right there in your hands. Cling to him, he's always there. As I shared with the first service, um, I brought an older Bible today, one I usually don't use. And in, when I opened it up and in the passages that this, the song is taken from, it said, is your love for Jesus big? It was a question I had written for myself. So I leave that question with you. Is your love for Jesus big? His love for you is enormous.